Thank you for the introduction, uh, James. One thing I've discovered when teaching in the past is that what is clear to my mind is not always clear to my hearers. I should briefly warn you about a couple of aspects of today's teaching that is different to preaching. Both of these things unfortunately require you to listen to me the whole time. First is that quite a bit of teaching today is going to be disguised in story and reflection. I will make the points clear at the end, but you'll embrace them easier if you spot them yourself as I speak. The second thing is that I've set aside five minutes near the end of this message to answer any questions you may have on what I've said. I don't need the questions to feel good about myself, so don't feel you have to create one. But if a point I make is unclear or raises a question for you, there'll be a slot for you to ask it later on. What I'm talking about is the fact that mission is doing. Mission is not thinking, knowing, it's not motivation, it's not accepting that mission should occur. It's not any of these things. It's actually doing something that's mission. As a family, we've sponsored children overseas since our own children were old enough to understand the concept of working and being paid. As each child got to that age, somewhere between three and five, we got them their own child, if possible about their own age. At the same time, we added to their weekly tasks new tasks, which we called odd jobs. Your weekly tasks were how you contributed to Calvert Family Incorporated, and you got paid pocket money or an allowance, depending on your age, for doing that. Doing your odd jobs, however, was over and above your normal jobs and supported your sponsored child. Along with Christine, I made sure that the odd jobs got done, that real money went to the sponsoring organisation, and in return, our children learned some things, and I got to read the letters from the sponsored kids. Simple letters, strange letters, funny letters. Those of you who sponsor will, will know and understand that. But a few years ago, I woke up one day and decided I needed a child of my own. So Tefan found me one in South America, a boy called Renan. He was a bit young to relate too much, and after only a short while, I was advised that I couldn't sponsor him anymore, as a richer, competing NGO had bought the village, and my project was closed. I needed to choose a new one. I have this personal belief that, trained correctly, naughty children can be some of the best adults. So I asked Tefan if I could sponsor a naughty little boy. They said yes, and they gave me a nice older girl. I guess one good thing about a nice older girl, she was about 10, was that I could teach her how to write good letters. It did take time and patience, but I did teach Jar how to write good letters. Not the kind that reads, Dear, kind, wonderful sponsor, I like helping my parents, I like going to school, I'm your humble, obedient, sponsored child. But genuine things like, I danced at the Lana Festival, I want to join a rock band when I'm 15, what do you think? Uh, Ted was not too sure about that. My brother is in another city, trying to find work. My dog died, but we have another one now. My dad is sick. Things that show me that she's not an object of charity, but a real girl, and show her that I am not an ATM machine, but a real person. When Christine and I travelled as a break between corporate life and mission life, we chose Thailand as a place to do short-term mission, partly so that I could visit Jar. It was one of the highlights of the trip. We got to meet a vibrant, pretty girl who we already loved, and she already loved us. How? Was it through the money that we sent? Hardly. 
It was through the letters that we exchanged. This month I got a letter from Tearfund to say Jar is no longer in the program. I thought, what? She still has four years to go. But it seems her parents' financial situation has improved, and so the agency assesses she no longer needs help. So out she goes. Ouch. This is the downside of having your prayers answered. Also of a concern to me was no program may mean no Christian input. This Buddhist family. Ouch. Strangely, the agency expects me to be happy and move on with a new child. Maybe to them I'm just an ATM. But I'm not an ATM and I'm not happy. I make contact and find that if I sign a bunch of indemnity forms, they can give her my address in a few months' time. In a few months' time, having the heard of the internet. And if she then chooses to write to me, then she can. Well, I know what I want, but the question is, what is best for Jar? First goal, I don't want her to feel abandoned by me in any way. I mustn't have that happen. Second goal, she does need independence from my giving, and ultimately she needs to become a giver herself, which means that I shouldn't set things up so she can send me begging letters or influenced by her family. Goal three, I mustn't be a burden on her either, materially or emotionally because see, she can't write English and probably can't afford a translator, and my love for her does not extend to learning Thai so that I can write to her. Hmm, Ted, Sailor, think about these things. Changing topic. Young couple I know were aware that I trip around on the development aid work. While reviewing their budget one day, they decided that they wanted to put a regular amount of money into doing good overseas. They wanted to do simple mission in a place that's worse off than New Zealand. So they emailed me recently wanting my thoughts on where they should apply their money. And I replied something like this. Good on you. Budgeting is great. I mean, how do you know what you can give to others if you haven't decided what you should spend on yourself? And simple mission is great. I think you as a couple have been born for greater things, but starting with simple mission is great. And here's some ideas. Why don't you sponsor an evangelist with Gospel for Asia? I know little about this organisation or what it costs to sponsor, but my daughter has researched them and is very committed to the group. The little I know makes me happy to recommend them as trustworthy people. Secondly, a couple I know have committed themselves to being itinerant pastors to missionaries, both expatriate and nationals. Each trip they make, they take donated funds to use where most needed. This is, even extends to taking discouraged missionaries out for dinner. This couple are trustworthy people who will spend your money wisely. Third idea. Why don't you pay into a fund to go overseas on a short-term mission trip yourself? The Pacific Islands are close and they're cheap to get to. Even two weeks exposure, if well planned, and if done with humility, can become a win-win project, win for them, win for you. Most importantly, a win for them, but also a win for you. Fourthly, why don't you sponsor a smart kid? In my travels in Uganda, Thailand, Nepal, India and PNG, in each place, I've met Christian couples with smart kids. I have a personal view that in many countries it is the next generation of Christians 
if well educated well parented who will make a big difference in in-country mission I could introduce you by way of email and you could give them help from time to time with the education costs of that child write to them form a relationship and encourage them into the future I doubt the couple expected me to advise point three give yourself the money give yourself the money can actually be a real investment it is an important step in mission if it results in a ho-hum person gearing up to the next level of excited giving be it giving of ourselves or giving money for example you could give five hundred dollars a year in a ho-hum way for say three years we could save it for three years and add it to your holiday budget and spend two weeks in Vanuatu working with orphans and if while you're there this really engages your heart you might then excitedly give a thousand dollars per year for 20 years into this kind of simple mission or you might excitedly fundraise 10,000 for this trustworthy group that you now know about or third you could excitedly learn a new skill that takes the two of you or you as a single overseas repeatedly um, repeatedly in the future all of these outcomes is greater spending on mission than the original 1500 going is a great way to engage the heart and it is cheap but even cheaper than going is reading Christine and I recently spent time in Delhi on short-term mission both at home and traveling we have a practice of reading books together at the same time as an aside to couples when you read you have to sit close so there are other benefits to the habit and I recommend it to couples on this trip we read two books that were informational motivational and inspirational the torch of life about dr ida scudder missionary to india and the a book about the first women missionaries in china in about the 1850s these are heart books and suitable for reading together but i also upskill myself by reading head books as well and i've been reading two recently one called when helping hurts another one called culture makers but please remember that mission is doing and none of this reading is actually mission itself to do effective mission we do need to be motivated and we do need to think right see mission flows out of an understanding of the Bible God made a world and it worked like a switch watch or was it an Apple iPad I don't have either, so I don't know. It was good, and it worked perfectly. Into this perfect world, God put people, and he had a thoroughly good time with them, chatting with them, showing them things, and letting them explore, and find out all sorts of fascinating things he'd put into the world. The people, all two of them, got on really well with God and with each other. They had a really simple form of government and a very simple tax system they knew God they glorified him in their lives just as God had planned then suddenly wham bang everything changed the people sinned handed over the rulership to Satan and the entire world probably the entire universe changed good economics became murky economics good relationships became tainted even the weather and the ground and the animals couldn't behave as they used to and became unpredictable most people forgot about God though some did look for him and some actively hated him 
So fast forward thousands of years, and God came to earth and allowed himself to be killed in exchange for getting his rulership over the world back. And this is where mission theology diverges. First view, nothing changed, but anyone who wants to can take Christ as king and go to heaven when they die. Or B, suddenly, wham, bang, everything changed. A new kingdom was established and the people in this kingdom are commissioned to bring everything in the world back into God's rulership. Politics, economics, social systems, religious systems, the ground and the animals, probably the whole universe. Mission is doing goes with a second view. This theology applies to New Zealand, but it is actually harder to see cause and effect here in New Zealand because through God's grace, even though very little glory goes to him, New Zealand is a rich country. Even Christians often think they earn wealth through their own cleverness, through their own effort, or their own spiritual technique, and they seldom give glory to him for their lifestyle. So it is easier to see some of the effects of the theology in the materially poor parts of the world. I have a small connection to a group called Reconcile World. They're a group doing an amazing job in Vietnam and Myanmar, working with small village churches. Describing their work, the director writes, Throughout many of the poor rural areas in Asia, there has been tremendous church growth. Churches have been planted and efforts are ongoing to train church leaders to minister to these many new churches. However, this is a key thing and what I want to talk about next. However, despite this growth, there has been little transformation. Nothing much has changed. Villages with Christians in it still live in abject poverty. Most believing that the message of Christ is only applicable for their life after death. The understanding of the gospel is that Christ died so they will be able to go to heaven. For those who have received some training, they still don't understand that the good news should bring transformation to every part of their life and to their society. As this group, Reconcile World, began their work 20 or so years ago, they stumbled across two facts. Firstly, Jesus died to reconcile, redeem all aspects that were lost at the fall. And secondly, the world is full of lies that stop people being reconciled or redeemed. Examples of common lies we seek to overcome include First, we are born poor and we will die poor. This belief holds people back from even making an effort to do anything to change their future. In many cases, the poor honestly don't believe the efforts they will make will bring any result. Their destiny has been set. But as they begin to understand this is not necessarily God's plan for their lives, they are much more willing to make an effort to try to change things. That is, God plus effort. They start to dream about what their communities could look like in the future, something they have never done before, and if you can't think about how things are going to be, how can you work toward it? Secondly, we're subject to the gods. The rural poor often believe the ground is cursed, and the amount they're able to grow is dependent on luck and the favour of the gods. 
In some areas they also treat illnesses by going to the witch doctor and sacrificing animals. Not only does this mean they do not recover quickly, but the costs are often extremely high, leaving the average family in crippling debt. But as truth sets them free from superstition, they start to have hope. As they work and live in a way that brings glory to God, they are surprised to find the gods do not control production, and instead they are able to earn much more than they thought they could. Third lie, God only cares about spiritual things. Often believers do not understand the whole message of Scripture. Their understanding is that to be a Christian they need to pray, read their Bibles and attend church. They don't, however, understand that God cares about every part of their lives. In fact, few Christians understand that the way they manage their farm, care for their families, manage their money and their health are also things that should be done in a way that bring glory to God. As they begin to understand, for example, that their bodies are a gift from God, and each of us are meant to look after them, look after our bodies, then they start to apply these principles. Lie number four, we are too poor to give. The poor often look at what they don't have and others seem to have and believe they are too poor to give. However, God has promised to give to us in the measure we give to others. As the believers do start to give what they have, often time they are surprised by how much they seem to have. As one church shared, and listen to this, when we started, we thought we could only do small things. So we wondered how anything would really change. But now we realize that when we do small things, that's how we have enough to do big things. Fifth lie, we can't do anything by ourselves. We need outsiders to help us. Many of the poor feel overwhelmed by their poverty and are unable to see the many resources God has already given them. They don't see their own creativity, they don't see their own resourcefulness, their time, their energy, all of which, when mobilised, can enable them to make significant differences to their communities. As they start to realise all they have and start using it, looking to God instead of outsiders to fill the gaps, they are amazed by what they can do. God has promised us that his truth shall set us free. As the churches understand God's truth and start to apply it to every part of life, they are able to move out of poverty, and as they do, they mostly bring physical, social and Christian transformation to the whole village. The fact is obviously that we are all affected by lies. It makes sense. The first sin was caused by believing a lie. Now, lie-busting is not an exclusively Christian thing. The world can suddenly wake up to something. For example, they can realise that smoking is not beautiful. My weight does not determine my worth. Credit cards to buy once is good for the retailer, but not good for me. A while back I made some comment about lie-busting to my son Nathan, and he sent me a video link. I watched it and figured it is a key... Uh, myth buster, lie buster. I'd love to see it translated into all the languages of the places I visit so it could inspire them too. As you'll quickly see, it's, um, it's on YouTube, it's um, from Campbell Live, and I'd just like to play it now.
something really special. Our Radio Live colleague, Andrew Patterson, told us about this young man here in the red. His name is Joshua Iosefo. He's 17, a Samoan Niue New Zealander, and he's a prefect at Auckland's Mount Roskill Grammar. Now, the prefects at Mount Roskill Grammar all make speeches to assembly, which is an excellent idea. And Joshua's speech... Uh, Brown Brother ended up on YouTube, shot by his friend Rashad, who is the young man in the middle with that beautiful smile just at the moment. That's Sonny Joshua's proud dad at the end. It's pretty special. So today we asked Joshua to redo it for us and for you. It was shot by Grant Finley and Dougal Lang, edited and directed by Toby Longbottom. But the star is this guy, Joshua, and this is his speech. I am Brown. Brown like the bark on a palm tree which supports my heritage. Brown like the table of which my family sits and eats upon. Brown like the paper bag containing burgers and fries by which my people consume. Brown like the mud on a rugby field by which my people play. Brown like the coat of the guitar by which my people strum. Brown like the sugar or the crust, the grain or the nut, whatever ingredients you want to use to mix up and around. You see, my brother, I am brown. My demographic is high school cleaning ladies, fast food, burger making, factory, box packing, rubbish truck drivers, bus drivers, taxi drivers, sober drivers, and living off the pension joy riders. I am a dropout. I hate science, maths, English, love PE, music, dance, and drama. I play rugby. No, I'm pretty good at rugby. And if I am lucky, my future in rugby might be sealed. Not to reveal my flaws in education, which are faulty, because, hey, who needs to be able to quote Shakespeare if you can play rugby? Now, I'll probably never graduate, and if I do, I will be the first. Either by myself or with a baby in or beside me, a victim of teen pregnancy with a guy in high school I thought was Gucks, which really sucks. You see, because when push came to shove, he couldn't pay the bucks. While I was focusing on this relationship, I was trying to get my NCEA 1, 2, and 3 purely on luck. Now I am stuck in the muck trying to scrub my skin with luck soap. Trying to scrub away the fact that I have added to the brown statistic. While my mother is a gambler and my father is an alcoholic, I will always bring the government and everybody else around me, but never myself, because I am brown. And whenever someone tries to breach my comfort zone or whenever I don't have anything else to say in defense in an argument, I'm just going to say that you're a racist, that your words are a mockery to my skin tone and my color. No, but brown brother, you were doing that the day you performed Cinderella. Or bro town, Sione's wedding, and do I have to mention the GC? Now, I don't mean to condescend. I mean, these shows are great, don't get me wrong. But can anyone explain... Will there ever be a time when our representation goes deeper than putting our own people to shame? Will the stereotype of an illiterate, unintelligent Polynesian still be the same? Will it ever change? Or are we still going to sell ourselves short for a few seconds of fame? Are we not capable of an art form that is thought-provoking or seen as a form of intelligence? Or are we still going to keep to our low standards of what we feel as culturally relevant? Not necessarily mocking our foreign traditions, but instead being real about the world that we live in like our fight against drugs or a fight against violence and a fight against what reasonable force is with our kids. Or how statistically Māori and Pacific Islanders are low academic achievers brown brother. Now I'm not saying that we need to forget our culture in order to gain, for we are all the same. I'm just saying that I'm sick and tired of my people thinking that they belong at the bottom of the food chain brown brother. Are we not more than an FOB? 
and look at from the islands in search of a J-O-B, are we not more than the eye can see? Can we not move mountains from point A to point B? Are we not more than generals and golden teeth? Are we more than S's to the first 15? Are we not more than gamblers at a poker machine? Are we not capable of attaining a bachelor's, a master's, or PhD, brown brother, look at me. You can do all things through Christ, Philippians 4, 13. You are more than capable. And I don't say that just to make you feel better. I say that because I know. Because your creator told me to tell you so. You will go places. You will tell stories. So do not feel alone. For your God, your family, and your home will forever be inside the marrow of your bones. So do not fret. Do not regret. Because wherever you go, you take us with you. Brown brother, do not be afraid to be the first. The first to graduate, the first to climb, the first prime minister, or the first good wife, brown brother. Do not be afraid to be the change. Not a change in skin tone or color, but a change in mindset. From one brown brother to another. Boy, I wish that I had the fluency of speech that um, that guy has. Human effort can get you quite a way if you believe good things and if you work hard. But human effort doesn't normally point to God and say, give glory to him. The verse quoted, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, says, acknowledge him as my source. Realize that we do mission for eternal results, not just earthly ones. At the end of last year, I had two dreams over two nights. Each of the dreams were similar, they were quite pleasant, nothing horrible about them. In each one I needed to do some things, and I did them well, and the people were pleased with me. In each dream, though, there was also wrong in the situation, and even the good that had been done, and what it achieved in some way didn't fully glorify God. The fact that there were two dreams in a row, the fact that they were similar, gave me a feeling of significance about them and made me pray and consider what God was trying to teach me through them. While praying it seemed to me that the situation God was talking about was our planned trip to Delhi. I felt that Christine and I could go there, that we would do good and that the people would like us for the help that we gave, but that without serious prayer before we left we would not achieve what God intended for us to achieve. Ahithopel is one of the Old Testament heroes of mine. He was one of David's advisors, and they said of him that inquiring of Ahithopel was the same as asking God. When he turned against God, what happened to this gift of wisdom? Nothing. It's scary. He was still wise, but he was no longer aligned with God's will. Still gifted, but not aligned with God's will. All of us here this morning, and I'll just have a look around. Yes, I can confirm that all of us here this morning are talented, gifted, and with knowledge. Some of this talent, gifts, and knowledge is spiritual. Most is natural. But many of us, even in this room, believe lies about this. Some of you are unable to see the talents, gifts, and knowledge that you have. Some cannot see how what you, what you have can actually be used on mission. And some of you know your gift, see how it can be used, but may be choosing not to align with God. So some do not see the gift, some do not see how it can be used, some choose to use it for themselves only. 
God requires us to believe that we are equipped and requires us to learn how to use our gifts so that they can be used on mission. So after seeing and believing the truth, the key is alignment. There seems to be three main areas where we can align our gifts and talents. We can align them on ourselves, we can align them with the devil, we can align them with God. For example, in my understanding, all highly talented filmmakers have a gift from God. Sure, they put in the hours, but the talent and the passion that supports the hours is God-breathed. Most people with those gifts will use them to make money or name for themselves. That is, they'll align themselves with themselves. Some will turn the gift to propaganda or pornography and serve the devil directly. They will align with the devil. Another small number will align themselves with God and build life into whatever they produce, be it in the secular or in the Christian markets. My personal reading is in Genesis at the moment, and I have faithfully read all the long lists I have come across so far. In Genesis 5, we read a list of people who lived and died. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalel, and Jared. All of them lived and died. When in the list we get to Enoch, we read that he lived 65 years. But then it says, then he walked with God for 300 years. If you catch the idea that we are on mission, you will seek in your life not to live, but to walk with God. On my vocabulary, seek to be in alignment with God. I promise to make clear hidden points in the stories. Briefly, these are. Renan, my first sponsored boy, was lost to me as a richer NGO bought the area. I've seen secular and Christian NGOs use money to buy branding and take over the efforts and skills of other missions. Christians competing in mission is ugly. Secondly, I taught Jar how to write to me. Good letters build relationship, and relationship is stronger than programs. So don't do mission at somebody. Build relationship with somebody and do mission with empathy, not superiority. Point to God as a need meter. You are not the ATM. To stay in contact with Jar or not, that was a third thing. The question is not what is good for me, but what is best for her. When you do mission, the question is not what is good for you, simplest for you, but what is best for the person or the group that you are seeking to help. My advice to the couple on where to give money kept using the word trustworthy. If you're doing simple mission by giving money, please do your homework and give it to trustworthy people, not just ones with big advertising budgets. Short-term missions, fifth point, needs to be win-win. Short-term mission must be well-planned and it must be done with humility. It is really easy to get short-term mission wrong. Sixth point, invest in a six-year-old. Mission can be long-term. If you're intentional with mission now, it'll multiply into the future. Seventh point was invest in a six-year-old in the country. Invest in a national evangelist. The best investment is helping grow capacity in country. 
Eighth point, reading about mission inspires and teaches you, but remember that knowledge that is never applied or has no outlet in mission. Okay. I mentioned at the start that what is clear in my mind is not always clear to my hearers. So I've set aside five minutes before we move on to the final part of the message to answer any questions you may have on what I've been talking about. Okay. Yeah, I see there's no questions and uh, time has moved on. I'll just turn over to Christine for a moment and she wants to talk about some of the people that we met in Delhi. Is important thing to remember is that mission is to and with real people and Christine will now come and talk to you about some real people who we met. <laughs> 